Amazonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglialoro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. We're recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. Of course, we are rebroadcast, redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank you for joining us no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things and we got a good show for you tonight folks we're going to be joined by dave hastings in a matter of moments here normally this is the part where i talk you know we're going to be talking this about football we're going to be talking this about basketball as you guys have been aware we've been in a little bit of a dead period the last few weeks and we got kicked the fuck right out of that one so i'm sure we will be talking some football and basketball tonight but obviously in baseball the trade deadline just happened ended Trade deadline was at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And there were still trades coming in after 6 o'clock. So we're recording this at 7 right now. I'm still trying to gather everything going on. But obviously, the, the big players in all of this were the Mets. We've talked about it for the last few weeks here, how I felt that the Mets were going to wind up selling. And it was going to be interesting to see what type of return they got. And we'll get into that. All total, the Mets have made nine trades in the last month. And obviously, well, one of one of the nine just flat out does not really count. Well, it's eight trades, excuse me. Eight trades in the last month. The one one of the trades they made today really doesn't count. It was two uh, average relief pitchers. But obviously, six of those trades happening in the last week. And we'll get into that, but a lot of movement all across baseball. Texas, we'll talk about Texas and what they got from the Mets, but obviously in addition to that, they had Jordan Montgomery. The Angels wind up adding Lucas Giolito, CJ Cron, and Randall Gritchick in two separate trades um, to try to help their lineup, try to help their pitching out. I, I don't really think it's going to work, if I'm being honest, but they still did it in uh, a vain effort to try to convince Shohei Otani that they they have a commitment to be competitive, which we know is bullshit. But that was the Angels and the Dodgers obviously went out and they got Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. And the Dodgers, funny story, they apparently, they backed out of interest for Justin Verlander. They had a deal lined up for Eduardo Rodriguez from the Detroit Tigers. And the dude exercised his no trade option. He vetoed the deal fucking moron he is right before he wants to opt out of a contract that is already paying him 60 million dollars for the next three seasons good job yeah you just uh, eliminated one suitor off the board you fucking moron but anyway obviously the Mets will will get into all the trades they made today and all that Dave Hastings is with us tonight Dave how you doing I mean, there's nothing better than getting on the show and hearing the first words out of your mouth be fucking moron. So, I mean, yep. I don't, I can't really explain the smile on my face, but it's there. Yep. I, I, want, I don't know how much you heard of it, but the scenario is the Dodgers made a trade. They had an agreement with the Detroit Tigers, who are a last place team basically this year. They're not going anywhere. They might wind up 
doing something over the next few years. But realistically, that's a long shot. And his dude, Eduardo Rodriguez, signed with them two years back. Five-year deal. He can opt out after the season. Going from a last-place team to a first-place team. And he vetoes him because he wants to stay more close to his family by the East Coast. I just look at that as a dumb move. Oh, it all, Matt, it all really boils down to how much you value family. I mean, mm. that's really like... You know, some of us are really close with a family. Some of us aren't close at mm. all with family. And most of us fall somewhere in the middle. Right. So, I mean, you know, for all we know, he has a grandmother or a grandfather that, you know, doesn't have a lot of time left. Or, you know, mom or dad might be dealing with medical issues and he wants to be like, you really never know. But at the same time, I did hear you say, you know, 60 million over three years. Financially, you can afford to move your family with you, too. Right. So, yeah. I do get like, you know, I get the point, but you never know the underlying truths behind some people's decisions like that type of stuff. So mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. Um, you know, if you're strictly concerned with just winning and only winning and that's your number one goal and, and what you're trying to achieve, then, yeah, you probably would prefer to go from a last place team to a first place team. Yeah. So I listen, if it is the family, maybe I should have rephrased that one. Because uh, I get that you made the point eloquently, though. You got enough mo money, you can take care of everyone, move them with you if you want. And he's going to look to opt out of that contract after the season. I just, to me, that just sends a bad message. And I, I, I know the day and age we in, so it doesn't exactly mean what it would have maybe ten years ago. I still look at that. It's like okay, they're they're a potential suitor for you. You got other potential suitors. I just to me. I, I don't know if I would have done that. That's the only thing. I would have been like, hey, here's $10 million. I'm going to the West Coast. I get Again, it, it's yeah. without <laughs> all the details, and a lot of those details aren't details he's going to share with the media yeah, yeah. or, you know, outside of people closest to him. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you just got to kind of say, all right, well, from the outside looking in, that doesn't seem like the wisest of choices, but – no. You there? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I oh, really, okay. I, I said the oh. word but, but I had nowhere to go. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me here. Okay. But yeah, no, with that, you know, I just wanted to highlight some of the bigger things that have happened over the last week before we get into what is probably the biggest story going across baseball with this trade deadline is the Mets tear down. And Dave, I, I know you had something you wanted to bring up here in, in addition to that, but I'll, I, I'm just going to start off by saying I have been saying the last few weeks I felt like the teardown was going to happen. I don't look at this as a complete rebuild because we've talked before how when Cohen came in, the short-term idea was to spend to keep the roster competitive while trying to rebuild the farm system. Obviously, the spending to keep the team competitive just did not work out this year. So they pivoted to using what they brought in with the money to refuel their effort to fill the farm system with talent. Now, whether or not it's going to work, I don't know. But we got six deals uh, that, that matter here. David Robertson going for Marcus Vargas and Ronald Hernandez, two teenagers. One is an infielder, one is a catcher, one just turned 18, one just turned 19. My problem with this was just simply that uh, I felt like it pushed the timeline back for them. But from everything I've heard, 
good prospects through rookie ball so far. Take that for what it's worth. But one already became the top one of the top 10 prospects in the Mets farm system. Then Scherzer goes on Saturday uh, for Luis Angel Acuna, the younger brother of Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, and the Mets wind up paying a little over $37 million off of his contract between this season and next season uh, for the Texas Rangers, who Scherzer goes to. And I, I'll tell you this, Dave. I told everybody on the face of the planet when Jacob deGrom signed with the Texas Rangers this past offseason, everybody wanted to say, oh, they're always bad. This won't matter. And I looked at every fucking Met fan I could. And I say, now you realize the more you say that, the more likely they are to win a World Series next season, right? I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series, but Jesus fucking Christ, Dave. They sure are playing like a, uh, dealing like a team that thinks they can win a World Series. So there was that. And then the Mets trade Marcana for Justin Jarvis, who's a triple-A pitcher. Tommy Pham goes for 17-year-old Jeremy Rodriguez. Justin Verlander. The big move going to the Houston Astros for two double-A ball prospects and Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford also entering the top 10 of the Mets prospects. And then just for shits and giggles, they got a 20-year-old kid out of the Angels farm system called uh, Jeremiah Jackson for Dominic Leone, who's a horrible fucking pitcher. So I don't know how the fuck we pulled that one off, but. Pretty decent day. You hear all this, David. I'm curious what your thoughts were as all this was going on. Uh, I mean, you were my main thought. Thank you. Very nice. Um, so, I mean, I'll start with that. But, I mean, overall, right, like, if there's one thing, I mean, I know a lot about baseball, but if there's one thing I'm very aware about baseball, you got one or two choices when the trade deadline gets here. Mm. You either go for it all. Or you pack it up and you say next year is a new year or the year is coming or new year is based off of how bad your team is. And you take it from there. And, you know, if I'm the Mets, the way this year is gone and the way this year is unfold or unfolded, I think they were better off making that move to, to worry about next year. And I mean, when it's all said and done, if the Mets are competitive next year, you know Cohen's going to spend money to build, the, bring in some veterans and try and make a push. Mm-hmm. So there's really no, to me, the, like the, your only real downside of this entire experience is that you came off of a 100-win season, had high hopes that you could, you know, carry that momentum and compete again, and shit didn't go your way. Yeah, I mean, that to me is really kind of the, the, the negative to this whole experience if you're a Mets fan. It's just simply you went into the year of high hopes and here you are at the trade deadline selling instead of buying. Yeah. And I will I will say this uh, because, I mean, we've seen this story play out before, but never really under Cohen as the owner before. And we've seen it happen where you know the team is not going to compete by, like, July or whatever it is. And, you know, there'll be years where they won't fully commit to a rebuild or they'll try to make it sound like if you have an injured player, he's coming back sooner than he's re- – in reality, he's going to come back. That game's been played before, and they would do it because it was the Will Ponds, and they were just trying to make sure that people came to the games and they were still getting their money. 
Cohen don't give a shit about that. If you're going to do a rebuild, yeah, the fact that this season has come to this sucks. But I'd rather have an owner who takes a look at what's going on and says, all right, this year didn't work out. I've been trying to build this farm system up anyway. Might as well use this money I have to try to jumpstart the farm system a little bit and get us to the point where it can be the pipeline so I don't have to go out and spend all this money every offseason, which I do think he's still going to this coming offseason for the right guys. So, And they can, and they managed to keep Alonzo, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, look, I get it. He's not, you know the greatest player in baseball right now. But I do think he's not only one of the better offensive players that the Mets have, but I also think he's one of the big fan favorites. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. there wasn't a lot of commitment by Mets fans to Verlander or Scherzer, right? Like people were happy they signed them other than, you know, them being the ages that they were. But for the most part, like they weren't like, you know, and, oh my god I love these guys like people went to the games that they pitched because you expected them to pitch a good game but mm-hmm. like outside of that they really weren't much where you know a guy like Alonzo I mean I feel like he's a fan favorite like I feel like the Mets yeah. fans genuinely do love the guy so mm-hmm. And at least you can say that, right? Like one of our favorite. Like to me, it was like like he reminds me kind of of, of David Wright. I think he's a better power mm. hitter. Yes, yes. You know, you can tell me when it comes down to his overall game. I don't know. I don't think he's as good as David Wright overall. But like Mets fans love David Wright. When he came back from his back issues and he knew he was a shell of himself, Mets fans didn't even care. They were just happy to see him wear the jersey again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's a great comparison. I definitely agree with you on that one. And to to go to your point, this wasn't a complete teardown because someone like Pete, like they listened to offers on him like any good franchise would. He was never really – they were never seriously considering moving him. And it's not a teardown if you're trading away core pieces um, – excuse me, if you're not trading away core pieces to your future. And if you look at it – the Mets core right now is Alonzo, it's Lindor, who's handled himself like a pro the entire time. Like the idea that Met players were upset that they decide that the front office decided to start trading away pieces, you have nothing to be said about uh, be upset about given how you've played over the first four months of the season. So to hear Lindor, um, when the media is around him, talk about, you know, just being excited for the future and everything or however he phrased it. I liked hearing that. You have those two. You definitely have a uh, blue chip catcher in Francisco Alvarez. You're keeping him. Jeff McNeil wasn't moved. I kind of thought he was going to be moved, but they wound up keeping him. You still have Brett Beatty at third base. You still have Brandon Nimmo, who you signed to the big contract in the offseason there. You have a solid core of about seven starters, depending on how Vientos turns out for the rest of the season. Now, and that's before the guys you traded for. The one downside to the guys they traded for is that a lot of them are very young, and it does push the timeline back, which that bothers me. And, Dave, I think you know this. I feel like, you you know, I know you've never really followed it, but you've been friend, friends with Met fans, and it seems like all the time the the timeline winds up getting pushed back from when we're going to be competitive and when the farm system's finally going to wind up producing these pieces so we don't have to be in a position where we have to try to buy a World Series. And 
it just always winds up being pushed back. Like I said, for the first time with Cohen, though, the guys they traded, though, all of them were guys they signed over the last couple of years. They didn't trade away any core pieces. The rotation's in shambles right now. I'm not going to lie. The fact that we have Kodai Senga, who was one of the big signings in the offseason, he hasn't been consistent this season. Is it's, for, it's still his first time playing major league games, different mound, different height for the mound, different baseball, and again, learning a brand new league. And I think he's been as good as you can expect for a guy learning a brand new league. So I have no issues with Senga going forward. Bit surprised they didn't trade Quintana. But besides that for next season, they really need some of their pitching prospects uh, who are still double-A. They got a few guys. I don't know if any of these guys are going to be ready for next season. So it's going to be interesting to see the approach to the offseason because I still think they wind up spending smartly, though. And you got six or seven guys starting pitchers, like decent-sized names, Besides Otani, if Otani wants to come to the West Coast, the Mets are going to make a run for him. But outside of him, you still got guys like Aaron Nola and Lucas Giolito. You have decent pitchers out there. And you got another Japanese guy coming over, apparently 25 years old, more hype on him than there was Senga. And, yeah, honestly, if if the Mets rotation next season, if they wind up getting – this is a pipe dream, but Otani, Senga, and the guy Yamamoto, yo, sign my ass up. I'm there. We were calling them, they were trying to call themselves Los Mets for a little while. I'll learn whatever the Japanese translation for that is. I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was very curious to see what your thought, like, not really directly when it comes down to the Mets going for Otani, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, the Angels kind of made it clear they weren't going to trade him. Right. Um, but it also seems very clear or there's a really, really good chance that he's not staying with the Angels. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a two-part question. I feel like one's just a yes or no. But the other is more kind of like a, how you would feel, right? Like, so, A, if the would you have wanted the Mets to put together a package to be able to trade for Otani? And B, if you if the Mets were in the same situation as the Angels currently are, but it, and it's still Otani, like, would you have wanted the Mets to have traded him, or would you rather have him them keep him on the roster and try to figure out a way to make it work? Well, I mean, I, I should preface this by saying I never really thought Otani was getting moved at the deadline now because there's only two months left on his contract and the team acquiring him doesn't know if he's going to sign with them because he's going to test free agency. I think that's pretty much been established at this point. So I, I'll start off that way. And given that, no, I didn't want to see the Mets trade for him because I, 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 it's when the Knicks traded for Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, all right, they kind of had to do it to put the guy next to Amari Stoudemire. But you look at what they gave up, and then you throw in the fact that Anthony was a free agent after the offseason. I just, I, the Knicks were in a position where they had to do it. The Mets were not in a position where they had to do that because that's a move you only make if you absolutely feel like you have to do that because you're giving up so much. And in baseball terms, uh, the equivalent of that type of deal that the Nuggets got for uh, Anthony would have 
included so many prospects and so much of your future that you're still trying to develop. And that that's the problem any team would have had uh, with that because he would have taken a supreme haul for the Angels to move. Um, I don't necessarily blame the Angels for keeping him. I, I think from their perspective, you should have tried to see what you could have get, gotten for him. Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, kind of has a reputation of being a West Coast version of Fred Wilpon. Um, and, and Dave, I'm sure you know enough to know that that's not a good thing. He never got embezzled by Madoff or anything like that, but still not a good thing. Um, so, yeah, Otani's not staying there. I think Moreno, Moreno can buy the guy if he wants to. He can drop a billion dollars on his chest like it's nothing. He's just never really been – well, he's done it on the right moves, but he's never been willing to fully commit to the team. And we've, we've talked about that in the past here. He could do that if he wanted to with Otani. I, I don't know that Otani wants to stay with them, though, given – we talked about it. You have Trout and Otani. You have two generational talents. And you haven't made the World Series with either uh, – excuse me. You haven't made the playoffs, let alone the World Series, with either of them. So I, d- I didn't think a trade was going to happen to begin with. I don't blame any team for not wanting to give that up when he's only two months away from free agency. And you basically know he's not staying. You know he, at least he's going to test it. Okay. And yeah. – uh with that in mind, we know he's going to test free agency. Like, I know we're looking very far ahead. I know that, like, at least according to the fan, uh, not the fan, uh, ESPN Radio, like, the Mets are, like, almost considered front runners to go after him. Like, would you want – because, I mean, it sounds like the projected salary for this guy is going to be about $60 million a year. At least. So, like – would you want the Mets to get, go after him and give him like an Aaron Judge type of contract? Well, it's it's going to be a lot bigger than that. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying. That here's the deal: where Otani ends up and the teams who bid on him are going to depend entirely on one thing: does Otani want to play on the East Coast? Because when he signed, I think it was the off season of 2018. He didn't want to play on the East Coast. He only wanted to play on the West Coast. That's why he ended up with the Angels instead of the Yankees. So I think there were seven bidders who were considered final bidders. Five of them were West Coast teams. Two of them were from the Midwest. The Yankees weren't even on the page. So that's the big thing. And if he's willing to play on the East Coast, hell yes. I think the contract is going to be ridiculous, and I think it would be hard for any player to fully produce what that contract is going to entail over the course of the contract. But yeah, if you can get, if you sign him to a ten-year deal, and he's getting at least five or six hundred million dollars, that that's happening right there. I think it, the price has the speculation on the price has steadily risen. Over the last couple of years, I, right now I'm saying 600, and that might be a low side, if we're being honest. And we got an owner in Uncle Stevie who has no problem plopping that type of money down on the table if the dude is worth it. And I, I think he comes regardless of what just happened at this trade deadline here. If anything, I think this helps the Mets' chances because – yeah, they got to pay a lot of money to Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, but it basically equates 
to them paying half of Scherzer and Verlander's contracts for next season, which is about $40, $45 million they're paying as opposed to straight 80. And then they got to pay half of uh, Verlander's contract in 2025 if his contract vests with Houston next season, which I think it's going to, truthfully. So they saved a decent amount of money off of the next couple years' uh, books. So they have this money. And everything we're talking about financially is short-term because they only have about six guys on the roster beyond 2024. So they've um, they've done everything as smartly as you can other than the whole uh, back it up with what you put on the field or what goes out on the field, rather. But, yeah, I want to see show, uh, Otani on the Mets if he wants to play on the East Coast. And I – I've seen nothing out of the Yankees to make you think that they're going to put that money on the table or that they would be. I think they'll be interested. I don't know that they match the Mets because I think Cohen would go to a billion if he needs to. Well, I think the other thing, too, for the Yankees is like, do you want to tie up $110 million in salary cap just between Aaron Judge and the top? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, in, ad- in addition to Garrett Cole, because he's still pulling about $30 million a year, too. Yeah, like I mean, that's. I mean, I know, I know these teams can afford it, and I know there's the luxury tax, whatever. But like, I mean, I just think Otani. Like, I think Judge deserved the MVP last year, but I think what mm. makes, gives Otani the edge when it comes down to like who would I want on my team for, let's say, the next just five years. Like, if they're both a hundred percent healthy, like Otani's giving you almost the same experience when it comes down to being on, at at the plate batting, but then he he's easily a 10, 10 to twelve win pitcher every every year. Mm-hmm. Like and mm-hmm. in the and and in the NL, you got your DH, so yeah. you basically don't have to give the guy a night off. You don't have to do anything. Like, I don't know. I, I know they were talking about the AL getting a DH. I don't know if that happened, but. I, it's universal DH now. Everybody's got it. It was the AL that had the DH, just them for the longest time. But now it's right. universal DH. All right. My bad. So, like, mm-hmm. well, for those that are listening, if you need proof of my lack of baseball knowledge. Uh, it all, think- it only happened within the last couple of years, just so you know. Yeah. Like, it, it was there for a very long time. Still, I call, if I'm going to call myself a Mets fan, I should have known they didn't have a DH. <laughs> mm. um, so, if anybody listening, if you need my proof of my lack of baseball knowledge, but yeah, all, well, just but, remember they they do I'm now, they do team. now. I'm That's all that matters. For almost 20 minutes, I'm pretty proud. <laughs> nah, you've been you've been fine. I mean, it's it's all good. Anyway, continue what you were saying though. I just think you know a guy like him, man. Like I can, it, it's easier for me to justify the idea of paying a guy that can pitch every five to six on top of being able to go at bat four to five times per game than it is to justify a guy that's going to play in the field every day. And look, Aaron judge is great in the field. I mean, hell, that's why I got injured. Dude ran through a freaking wall. Like that was crazy. (laughs) But like at the same time, his body frame, you always get scared of guys that are bigger than you're supposed to be in the sport you play. Like, you look at basketball, most guys that are, you know, seven, six, seven, seven, they don't have long NBA careers. Yeah. You know, you, you look at tight ends and guys that are six, 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 seven, running across the middle of a the field. They're not playing a long, long NFL career. Like, so it's, it's, 
it's one of those things where like he has the right frame and he just can he impacts the game in so many ways that just not there's how many people you know i mean how many players in the history of the game have been able to impact it the way he has yeah uh, I, I have to interrupt this for a second here because I'm, I'm just going to see if this is true. Andy Martino apparently is reporting. And Andy Martino, t- take what he says for, for a grain of salt. I know he thinks he's an insider, but most fans kind of look at what he says, very skeptical. Uh, apparently, there is a report that they are pivoting their pursuit of Shohei Otani. And as it seems now, he will not be met in 2024. Again, a, a lot can happen in a few months here, but... I wanted to bring this up because this this is a problem that I was hoping they were going to avoid because nothing they did today should stop them from adding pieces. And, you know, if they decide it's just Otani and they go after the Yamamoto guy, okay, fine, but you can still go after Otani and in your window, unless you plan on moving it back again, you know, he'd still be there and be able to contribute on a meaningful contender. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm not crazy about that. I just, you gotta, you gotta keep at least putting a team on the field that can compete. And if it doesn't compete, you trade it off at the deadline again, and you keep adding to your farm system. Sorry. No, I did. <laughs> Don't be sorry. I mean, that was the one thing I know from everything I was seeing on like Twitter, like as met uh, the met, the one thing the Mets did, um, was that they added to their their uh, to their what the hell is it called field, uh, farm system farm system I was gonna say field system I'm like no nah, that's not <laughs> right um, but yeah so look man I, I think as a Mets fan yeah you, the what you wanted it, this year didn't happen but if they're gonna sell you know they sold it as right as I guess you probably could have. Mm-hmm. Especially being able to trade two guys that had no trade clauses. Yeah. Well, the thing about those, I always kind of thought they would waive them if they, you know, go into a team that had a legitimate shot. The, the Rangers are not – I don't want to say this too loud. They still got to get past the Houston Astros. That's the thing. They, they still got to get past them. And that is a daunting task, especially that now – Scherzer and Verlander are back to being on opposite sides of the shit again. So that, that's, that's fun. Um, couple, a couple final thoughts here. I know one thing, and I, I, I said this kind of to start it off. Scherzer, I guess, was quoted by The Athletic as saying the reason why he, he waived the no trade clause was because he was told that they're likely not going to compete, at least in the front office's mind, until 2025 at the earliest but more likely 2026. That part I really hope isn't true, even though that's that's the problem with the, the deals the Mets made. It's very forward thinking. Like they added nine top prospects to their top 30 ranking, which does mean something because in the couple of years that Cohen took over, he only got the farm system out of the bottom to the middle. The fact that the farm system is going up doesn't, you know, isn't the be all end all, but it is something that can at least raise the stature there. Maybe you use the guys in trades later, you raise the whole opinion of the farm system in the minds of other executives for trades. It does look like they're going to bring David Stearns in next season to be the uh, 
president of baseball operations, which apparently that a lot of people seem to feel that's what they're waiting for. But timeline. It was supposed to be three to five years. Now it's probably going to be seven. And most fans, most Met fans know if you say seven years, it likely means 10. That's the problem because the narrative never changes, Dave. <laughs> My man, you, uh, you have picked some teams to be a fan of. I'll say that much. Yeah, I have. It's painful. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I think with that, we can wrap up baseball here did you have any final thoughts are you ready to move on Dave? um i think i'm good my man i, I honestly like i said I, I think uh this really just genuinely boils down to the idea that if you're a mets fan you got to think more you know what can next year and the years after that be and accept that you know this year you don't have to spend any more time like, that's a good thing, right? It's August 1st, and you know that between now and October, you're not going to have to stress over your team. Mm-hmm. They win some yep. games. Like, I mean, fuck, for all you know, dude, they, like, the players in that locker room turn things around and they make the end of the year interesting. And maybe, maybe you screw the Phillies or, or the Braves out of a playoff seed, or, you know, maybe you, you, you knock the Braves down in the standings, or, you know, you stop the Phillies from making the playoffs at all. Like, you know, like I mean, that that mm-hmm. that's that that's that's your World Series now, right? Anytime you play those teams or have a chance to hurt them, and that includes even losing the teams that they're jostling for position with, right? Like, oh well, we lost to you know blah blah blah, but it, by losing to them, the Braves went from the one seed in the NL to the two, yes. right? Like, so yeah. you you can really kind of find find your joy in basically screwing over your division opponents. Hmm. And the the one thing I would like to see happen here is, you know, you go you go in uh, with a mini rebuild here, retooling, you're getting all these prospects and, you know, open it up, let a couple of the kids play here. I want to see Vogelback get DFA'd either tonight or tomorrow and let Vientos play every day here, maybe bring up Mauricio, let him start to play every day. And I, I got to tell you, last point I'll make and then we'll move on here. I'm already hearing, you know, we talked about whether or not Buck and Epler come back for next season here. I, the one thing I, I want to see out of Buck, because I want him back next season. I said it before. I'll say it again. I would like to see him fight for his players a little bit more, because this is a guy who's credited with creating the farm system that led to Derek Jeter, uh, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit. Uh, Bernie Williams and Mariano Rivera. This is the guy who built the Arizona Diamondbacks into the team that won the World Series in 2001 over the Yankees. This is a guy who kind of built the Orioles up in the early to mid-2000s, and they were a consistent playoff team for a few years. He, he has a reputation for being able to develop younger guys. If he's really just doing what, the, what all other managers are doing and just playing what the spreadsheet spits out, it's time for him to start going to bat for them for the front office because the way these young players have been played when they get called up, to me, it's not very productive. A couple guys have worked out for it. Like Alvarez eventually got out of the Mets only playing them like two, three times a week. But it takes a lot to be able to do that. Most guys are able to power through early career struggles by playing more. And you don't have any veterans now. 
So let some of the young guys play. I just wish that some of the pitching was better positioned to be able to take over. Because the guy they got from Canada, Justin Jarvis, you're likely going to see him, by all accounts, probably just a back-end starter at best. And they got a couple guys they could bring up, but most guys are not ready right now, at least guys that you think could be something for the future. And that's going to be the problem until they are. So with that, we can move on here. Even though I'm going I'm to be honest, Dave. I know there were a couple things football-wise, kind of slow football-wise. Did you have anything you wanted to start off with tonight for football? I mean, I think your uh, <clears throat> biggest news is seeing Joe Burrow uh, potentially <laughs> out for all of the rest of training camp and even preseason with a uh, severe calf strain. Um, and he still doesn't have his contract. And there's people talking about, does he milk this injur- in- injury until he gets his new deal? And I think that's a really fair question to ask, right? Like if he ruins, I mean, we saw what happened, like just staying with Cincinnati, you saw what happened with Carson Palmer. They gave mm-hmm. him the big deal. He goes down in the playoffs and, you know, he's out the door basically the next year. So does Joe Burrow think about his future more than playing right now? Um, you have all the drama with Jonathan Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts. So, yeah, I mean, those are probably the two biggest headlines over the last week. Mm. Yeah, the Jonathan Taylor stuff is kind of crazy. We'll get into that. The Burrow one. Who is Cincinnati's backup right now if he's not able to go in the regular season, at least the start? Uh, I have absolutely no idea, and that's a good thing, right? You never – like, if you're a fan, you don't want to know the backup quarterback. Yeah. Uh, him milking it until he gets the contract – I feel like a lot of the guys saying that, if you look, probably were among the guys who said that they thought Burrow could hold out if Cincinnati drafted him. I I don't know. I can definitely see it in this day and age with everything going on. Like, obviously, quarterbacks are going to get paid, but I could see that. But this, I don't know. It's, It's a different situation because his happened in the season, if I'm not mistaken, but kind of reminds me a little bit of Dak's situation. When he got hurt and missed the season, and he still wound up getting the contract out of it. So I don't know how good of a chance do you think that happens? Oh, I think it's zero. Uh, and there you go. I think it's zero because Cincinnati's still going to pay him. I think it's zero because a lot of people, like, you know, fans and media, so much time focusing on contracts. A lot of people forget the fact that these guys are just really, really, really competitive. They love the game of football. You don't make it to the pros if you don't love the game of football. You just don't. Mm. The game puts a beating on your body. It's time-consuming. And the guarantee of even making it to a second contract in any position is slim. And you want to play. So, yeah, I think it's zero, but I do think it's a fair thought, right? Like, I don't think people are crazy for thinking it. Uh, I think there's there's uh, a level to it that makes sense, and I understand why people think it and feel it. But in the overall scheme of things, these guys are too damn competitive to sit out any more time than they have to because they love playing the game of football. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said it because I, I, I can't. I would find it hard to believe that Burrow would wind up doing that. He definitely like you talk about a gamer. Everything we've seen out of him the last few years, he's the type of guy you want on your team. So I, I, I can't see him using that leverage of a bigger contract out of it. I, I don't want to believe. Never say never in this world. I, do, I don't want to believe that one. So, yeah, no. But I, yeah, I that the, the Jonathan thing though that lawyers are going to get involved with that because he he came out that I never reported the camp complaining about back issues or this or that or the other thing like and they're trying to put him on the non-injury uh non-football injury list which if he sat out uh would they they would be able to withhold his his entire salary for the year and, and like I think you're going to see lawyers get involved with that one. And I mean, we won't hear about it, right. It'll be done behind the scenes. Like, you know, one day he'll be suited up in that camp or he'll be on a different team or, you know, whatever the hell happens, happens. But like, that's some shit, man. Like, and I just think you look at it and then like the owner comes out and he's like, why would we give running backs more money than what we're paying them? Like, we we spent years negotiating a CBA and blah 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 and like I'm sorry but like those negotiations are shit yeah because basically what you have when those negotiations get agreed upon is you have 32 owners and then you have a hand 32 player representatives that represent over 1,500 individuals where only about 1% of them are making money that can change their lives. Yeah. So, yeah, good for you. You negotiated, but guess what? Out of those 1,500 guys, only about 150 of them are actually happy with what you negotiated. So... Yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor has every right to be pissed. Look, we talked about this the other day. I think all these running backs have the right to be pissed, but hey, it is what it is. It's like the economy, right? Like, if you work in the gas industry, you're doing really well right now. (laughs) If you work in the restaurant industry, you're not doing so good. Right? Like, you, you chose your career path. Now, yes, there are outside factors that impact all of us. Like, I'm not one of those people. Like, I, I genuinely let me let me make sure I say this the right way. I genuinely believe that we all control our own future. But I, with that said, I think that needs to be stated with an asterisk because some of us get opportunities put in front of us that other people don't get. Oh yeah, and that's just the reality of the world that we live in. I was lucky enough. I grew up in middle-class America. My parents were able to send me to good public schools. I was able to, you know, I won't say afford college, but deal with the idea of that debt hanging over my life for the rest or hanging over my head for the rest of my life. There are people that grew up in other situations where they were lucky to even be able to go to a public school and eat lunch. They were lucky if they graduated high school to even be able to go to a community college most of them probably ended up going to get some, you know, rinky-dink fucking hourly job just to keep, you know, be able to put gas in the car that they used to just get to that job. 
we all have different circumstances. We all can make the best of those circumstances, but those circumstances decide how much we can do, even if we're making our best out of it. And you are in the running back position and the economy of the NFL dictates that your position is a plug and plug and pull. Nothing we can do about it. That, that, that's not their fault. It's how the league progressed. It turned into a throwing league. Like, I think the kid that Dallas drafted, Deuce Vaughn, got him in the sixth round. I don't think that kid gets a second contract. Yet, I think he's going to be one of the most impactful players that they have on their entire team. But he'll play for four years on Dallas. They'll run him into the ground. And, yeah, maybe he'll get – maybe he'll continue playing his, in his career. Don't mean he's going to get some big, fat contract. So, no. it, it's – it just it, – it, it's a shitty situation, but – Jonathan Taylor is getting fucked by Indianapolis the way things sound right now. Mm. Yeah, it, it's still a very strange situation. They go they go to have a meeting, just the two, the two of them, and then they come out and demanding a trade and Ursay's comment. Ursay, really, you want to talk about owners who just need to shut their fucking mouth. I know Jerry Jones made some comments over the last couple of days that I think both of us have some opinions about. But... Ursay doesn't help any situation here. And I'll say this. I don't know how you feel about it. Dan Snyder clearly needed to leave the NFL, but there's a mentality among the owners still that it would just really be nice if he got over because shit like this shouldn't be happening. I'm not saying there's a solution, especially when we've talked about it. We want to be in the corner for the running backs here. Unfortunately, we get the business sense that it doesn't make a lot of sense to give the running backs the big time contracts and everything. I don't know what the solution is for that, but I guarantee you the solution is not Jim Ursay cutting a freaking interview after something like this happening and saying, we're not trading him now. We're not trading him in October. That's not the right thing to do. No, so I don't know. That, that man sucks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no other way to say it. And I know where you're going with the Jerry thing. And look, the Jonathan Taylor thing is just a shit show, right? Like, yes. What are we supposed to do? You know, like, seriously, like, what are we supposed to like from that perspective? Like, what are we supposed to do? But mm-hmm. and on top of this, didn't I, I like I mean, this isn't going to affect anything. But then I see Zach Moss broke his arm or something. So he's going to be out for a little while. So what are they going to do at running back when you got Anthony Richardson who you're hoping develop develops into your next star quarterback. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah. And it, it's, it is literally one of those things um, that you sit there and all you can think to yourself is, well, nothing we can do, right? Like mm-hmm. find other areas to help the team give yourself some value and hope somebody else will pay you. Uh, that's, that's it. Right. Like, mm. I mean, that is literally it. And it sucks, but it's the reality of the position you're in and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely not too much more to add on that one. I think I think you hit that all perfectly on that, Dave. So yeah, have, let's. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, I have my moments where I hit things perfectly. <laughs> Beautiful. So yeah, the Jerry Jones comments. I, I I don't have them in front of me at the moment, but I know he talked about Jimmy Johnson. Uh, and he tried to make it sound like uh, there were other coaches you know, in consideration for the ring, of, uh, the, uh, the ring of Honor. And we talked about this a few weeks back. And I, I don't know if you have the comments, but I believe he made comments about Zach Martin's holdout, too. There's times Jerry Jones really just needs to shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. I would, I would agree with that. And I, I think... <laughs> You know, between the Ring of Honor thing, like, what I find funny, and I, actually, I don't know if saying I find it funny is the right phrase to use, but, like, it amazes me that, like, ever since he screwed over Jerry, or Jimmy, what have we seen? Like, really, what have we seen? Like, how much... How fu- how much of a middle finger could Jimmy raise to him if he gets put in the ring of, ring of honor and the Cowboys won the Super Bowl that year? <laughs> I'm not I think it would happen. I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm just saying the irony of that and the overall ha-ha-ha moment that Jimmy Johnson could have with that would be mind-blowing to me. So that's ridiculous. Him playing strong arm, they're still butthurt by Ezekiel Elliott and what he did to them. So that's why they're treating it this way. I swear, I'm willing to bet money on that. Zach Martin deserves a pay raise. He does. And and Jerry talking the way he's talking, you're literally basically going out, going after the most important guy you have on your offensive line. Mm. Like, He's a top 100 player, according to other players in the league. Madden gave him a 99 overall, only offensive lineman to get one. He's Since he's been in the league, he's only not been an all-pro once, and that was his rookie year. He's been a pro bowler every year of his NFL career. He's given up more – He's given, he's only given up, like, a handful of sacks. He's only missed a handful of games. He's the definition of everything you want in offensive linemen, especially an interior offensive lineman, the Maulers. You don't treat him like that. Yeah. Add, a, add a year to his contract, give him a fat signing bonus, and just be done with it. Yeah. And I believe Jerry brought up something to the effect of invoking De- DeMarcus Ware's name, said, I didn't want to cut DeMarcus Ware, killed me to do it. Yeah, everybody knew you've made a fucking mistake. You handed Denver the fucking championship on a silver goddamn platter and you gave them one of their top players. So, yeah, we'd all love to see you not do that again. And he's not going to cut Zach Martin. Like, they have Zach Martin. Like, technically, the one thing Jerry is right on, Zach Martin has no card to play. Like, when it's really all said and done, if he wants to get paid this year and not have to pay money to Dallas, he has to show up. At some point, his agent's going to look at him and be like, look, I'll keep working on this, but you got to show up, man. You're losing 50 grand a day. Like, 
They're reporting to training camp five days a week. That's $250,000 a week. That's a million dollars in the month of training camp. Yeah. Like, not saying he can't afford it, but my man, like, come on. (laughs) Well, well said. Yeah. Now, I, I, I always wonder how much of the holdouts is them just not, you know, wanting to start later than, you know, early July or what, whatever it is to get in there. You want a little extra time to kind of ease yourself back into it. Uh, okay, okay, fine. The, the, the fact that you got Jerry doing this and responding to it like that, it's like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like, and we talked about this before. I feel like most executives would recognize this for what it was. And if you're going to comment it, on it at all, you're not going to say anything definitive like this. You can be firm. But the idea that you're going to commit to something like this and possibly cause uh, a situation with a player who is a, you know, through and through representative of your organization, you got to be smarter than that. At this point, there's no excuse. Yeah, I mean, they botched the whole DAC contract, so that's how they ended up screwing themselves into paying them as much as they paid them. Now they're mm-hmm. in a position where you're going to piss off one of your most seasoned veterans. It's annoying. But I will say, one of the positives coming out of training camp, their first-round <laughs> pick, the defensive tackle, Mozzie Smith, mm. apparently that dude is just lighting people up right now. Yeah. And <laughs> – that makes me happy because if there's one thing I feel like that team has missed with the, the Dan Quinn defenses we've seen over the last two or three years, they don't have a nastiness in the middle. Like, yeah. I don't need my D tackle to get 10 sacks. I need my D tackle to shove a center into the stomach of the quarterback. I need a D tackle that's going to take on a double team and bring both guys to the ground and open up a, 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 an opening for his linebacker or his DN. Like, and it sounds like that's the kind of player this kid is. He's just, they interviewed him and they were, and they were like, how are you like in training camp? He's like, I don't like football. I just like hitting people. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I want you to love football because the game takes a lot out of you. But at the same time, like, did you really just say, I don't like football. I just like hitting people. So I play the game of football. Like that's nastiness. And I love that. So uh, it's, it's a lot of negative headlines out of Dallas, which is kind of manipulated by the media, but Jerry Jones does everything he can to help give them headlines. Oh yeah. That the fact that that kid is shining the way he's shining. And then lastly, Knock on wood, for the most part, they've stayed healthy through the first part of training camp, and and that's that's the scariest part to me about training camp in preseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you yeah. think about Tony Romo, statistically one of the best quarterbacks in, in Dallas Cowboy history, and his career ended in a preseason game. Not his season, yeah. his career. Like, that shit is like when it comes to training camp, I don't care about any storylines. I don't care about if they're positive, nay, I don't care about any of that. You tell me my team survived training camp in the preseason healthy, I'm a happy camper with how that how that for 
the year went. Yep. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I saw a little bit of, of uh, the Mozzie Smith video that was going around on Twitter yesterday. It looked like the entire defense was uh, playing pretty well because I, I saw something about Michael Parsons, and I think the secondary was going good. But, um, yeah, always good to see the Cowboys be able to hit on their first-round picks. So if he ends up more in the realm of the first-round picks that have helped us out over the years and not the Taco Charlton realm, I'll be happy. Yeah, that Taco Charlton pick is always going to bother me considering TJ. <laughs> TJ Watt, Watt went three picks after that. Like three whole picks. So you could have traded back two picks, <laughs> got more picks, and still got TJ Watt. Yep. That pick will always, always bother me. But, hey, it is what it is. Michael Parsons makes you feel a lot better. I'm th- I think what you heard about was the video where he literally one-armed Tyron Smith about three yards. Oh, I think I saw that actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that like, sounds – yeah. He tossed Tyron yeah. Smith. <laughs> it was a huge I, I, I still love me some Tyron Smith. I do. I, if the dude stays healthy, I think he's still one of the better – offensive tackles in the league. I don't think he's the best tackle in the league anymore. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy to justify that type of title. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, nah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Tyron Smith fan. So seeing that Michael Parsons basically threw him like a rag doll. I'm like, you know, Michael Parsons put on some weight this year to get more prepared for playing that defensive end position. He was working with Hall of Fame offensive linemen, like practicing with them to get tips and tricks. Like, it's crazy to think that Micah Parsons actually may have the best year of his career so far this year. And that includes being the defensive player of the year and an all pro and pro bowler in his first year, and being second in defensive player of the year voting and an all pro and a pro bowler in his second year. Like, the dude has already set a stupidly high bar, and it's like he could actually have the best year of his career this year. Mm. And it would make all the sense in the world because it's incredible to believe it's still only his third season. And that's that's the – oh, go ahead. Like they say, man, great NFL players, you tend to know they're great in their rookie year. And if, if you have that, all you got all you can say to yourself is enjoy it while you can, because <laughs> especially at our age, we are now well aware how fast a, a player's career can go. I mean, we watched LeBron now for twenty years, like you know, just to like name a huge big name player. We watched Andrew Luck come in and out. We watched Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, uh, it makes me nauseous to say it, but even in Eli Manning, like, I mean, we watched Philip River. We've watched guys play 15 years, give or take, in the four major sports. And then they retire, and you're like, wow, I cannot believe I'm never going to see that guy play this game again. Yeah. Like, And it, it, you got to enjoy it while you can. As a Cowboys fan, lucky enough to be able to say that about Michael Parsons – and I just pray he has a healthy career. And obviously, I 100% pray that the man can bring a Super Bowl to Dallas. But that that rests on the shoulders of a lot more people than just him. Yeah. 
and God willing, we'll live to see it at some point. There's a lot of things I'm hoping to live. Huh? I don't know, Mike. I might have to tell you to stop being a Cowboys fan. That might be the only chance we got. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. It's fair. I can't argue with you on that. I'm with you. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. You look at the Mets. I mean, if I did stop rooting for them, they probably would win the championship next season. <laughs> so I get you on that. <laughs> all right. Did you have anything else you wanted to bring up tonight, brother? Uh, let's see. Uh, basketball has been quiet and dead. Hockey's been quiet and dead right now. Um, so yeah, I I think it's really just football and and baseball that are the main four sports. Other than at U.S. Women's National Team, uh, they lost their group, but they still made it to the knockout round uh, of the Women's World Cup. So go USA. Um. <laughs> But besides that, I mean, that, that's really all I got sports-wise. And I'm just about tapped out, too. The only other thing I want to bring up tonight, I guess you'd call it pop culture-wise, do you, are you a fan of Christopher Nolan movies? Obviously, the Batman movies are classics. But, like, other Christopher Nolan movies. I See, see I think that's the funny part. Like, <laughs> I probably like the movies he's directed and didn't even know he directed them. Oh, okay. It's not a knock on him. It's just I never really cared about who the director was when the movie title came out. I cared about, hey, who's in the movie and what's the movie about? Mm. Well, the ones I can think of off the top of my head, Memento, Prestige, uh, Inception. He had Tenet a few years back, Dunkirk. Any of those names? Uh, I've seen Tenet and Dunkirk. What'd you think? I enjoyed both. Okay. Here's my thing about Christopher Nolan movies. And I bring this up because I saw Oppenheimer with my brother over the weekend. I like the movie and I do like Christopher Nolan movies as well. Even though I've never seen Memento. Apparently that's play. And I never saw Tenet either. It is a long movie. And it feels every bit of those three hours. But it's, it's and it, it, some things are hard to keep track in terms of the dialogue. I don't know about you. When I watch TV and movies, I tend to keep the captions on, and that movie proved exactly why I do that. Because it was just hard to, you know, like the movie theaters, they have the booming sound for the explosions and everything. But the dialogue isn't always easy to hear. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Okay. You a captions guy or no captions? No, I don't. I don't rock with the captions, my friend. Oh, I rock with the captions. And I, 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 I still got my hearing, so. Now, <laughs> well, I I just like it because I can fool myself into thinking, yeah, okay, I am a reader in some way. Oh, there you go. That's a good way to look at it. Yep. Even though I couldn't tell you the last time I read a book, but yeah, no, I do read the captions, so that should count. Um, the sequence, you know what Oppenheimer is about, right? Dude who uh, created um, the atomic bomb. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Peaky Blinders at all? I do not, but it is a show that's been on my list for a really long time, and I just, I just haven't gotten to. It it is very good, and I bring it up because the dude who plays Oppenheimer is the main character on Peaky Blinders, and he's fucking phenomenal. 
As Thomas Shelby on Peaky Blinders, it, it, he's fantastic on that, and he's amazing in this movie too. So I, I recommend seeing both simply for his performance because he's he's like Scarecrow in the Batman movies, if that's all you know him for, because I never saw 28 Days Later or those movies. I think I... I think I, I think I saw a little bit of it when I worked at the theater when it came out, but I, I didn't it didn't stick with me. And him as Scarecrow and Batman, uh, the Batman movies, he's good. Just scratching the surface of how good of an actor that dude really is. I'll say that oh, right now. I know that character. What'd you say? I said at least I know that character. Yeah. And if you liked him in those movies, I'm telling you right now, get ready to jack that shit up to a thousand. If you watch those, because phenomenal, truly, I don't know if you classify more TV show act, uh, movie actor, whatever. He's a great fucking actor, though. So I would recommend that movie, but yeah, just be prepared. That movie gonna feel its fucking length. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yep. And I think with that, we'll get out of here for tonight. So thank you to everybody for listening to us on the various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Bullhorn, rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things, and we'll get out of here for, t- for tonight. Once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Let's do some final thoughts. Dave Hastings. Oh, Mike, as always, it is a pleasure to be here. As a quick reminder for you, I am not here next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next week, I will be on the other side of what they like to call the pond uh, (laughs) for the first time in my life. So uh, very excited for that. Um, But always a pleasure. Look forward to being back with you in two weeks. Right. Hold on. Yes. I yep. think I, I come back next Thursday night. So yeah, so two weeks. Um, hopefully, uh, I got a, a great story or something fun to tell you about my trip. If not, hopefully we come back to, uh, some type of crazy shit in the sports world that is not negatively impacting either one of the teams that we root for. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, until next week, my friend, or until two weeks. Yeah, and you have fun over there. Try not to get into too many bar fights. That's the only thing I'd say. I hear they're crazy over there, so just just make sure you're careful. <laughs> oh, I'm, a, I'm making friends. I, I ain't worried about getting into bar fights. I hear you. Or I hear you. I'll, I'll become, like, Facebook Messenger friends with, like, 10 different people that live in Ireland. By oh, there you go. There you go. That's nice. Oh, well, one on. way, huh? Don't long enough. I'm not a violent guy. No, I just say stuff like that because that's funny to me. I mean, you think over there, you hear about the bar fights and everything like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. But who's to say you have a bad time? Because if you've listened to any stand-up comedian over there, they get into the fights and then they, you know, they they party the rest of the night. So you know, you can start off that way. Have a good time. Look, I'll I'll, t- I'll take a quick shiner if it leads to making some friends and having a good laugh. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, one way or another, you have fun over there, brother, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. And I, once again, I am your host, Mike Aglioloro. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see y'all next week.